This episode of the Tony Robbins podcast is brought to you by Breakthrough, the mobile app with the tools and strategies you need to take your life to the next level. Imagine that Tony Robbins himself was your life coach and you had direct access to his most powerful ideas and proven tactics whenever you want, wherever you want, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Introducing the Tony Robbins Breakthrough app. Whether you're looking to improve your finances, your career, your health, your relationships, or even just the way you feel every day, the Tony Robbins Breakthrough app is your key to real lasting change in your life. Breakthrough is a digital library of Tony's best content, a curated collection of some of his most watched short videos like what makes a relationship work and how to master the game of money. And when you're ready for deeper immersion, you can purchase digital copies of Tony's best-selling products, including his number one personal and professional development program of all time, Ultimate Edge. The Breakthrough app also includes interactive features like a journal to track your progress and the all-new Wheel of Life, a free assessment test that shows you where you are today in each of the seven areas of your life so you know with certainty what you need to focus on to achieve an extraordinary quality of life in all areas. Download the free Tony Robbins Breakthrough app today. Get yourself on track to the life you desire and you know you deserve. Now available in the App Store and in Google Play. Hey guys, it's Annie York. Welcome back to the Tony Robbins Podcast. Today, we're wrapping up our Business Mastery Panelist series with a woman who changed the way that millions of people shop and the way that millions of women get ready. We're talking about Alexandra Wilkes-Wilson. Wilkes-Wilson was one of the co-founders of Guilt Group, the members-only flash sales site for the most coveted fashion brands. She also served as CEO of Glam Squad, the New York City-based startup that offers on-demand hair and makeup services. She even started a mobile makeover service called Fits that helped customers give their wardrobe a fresh start. It's fashion and beauty revolutionized. At Business Mastery, Tony spoke to Alexandra about each of these companies and how she helped build them into businesses that thrive, even during economic winters. They talk about the secret behind Gilt's growth, how critical it is to build trust, but still move quickly, and why women have unique advantages when it comes to customer acquisition strategy. Thank you for joining us. As you can see, we've got a crowd here of a couple thousand people. They're from 49 countries. We're translating three languages, and we've got about three quarters of a million people online here to hear your story. Amazing. Uh, you know, I've been a fan of your, your guilt company because I have a lot of friends and a lot of ladies that shop there. Tell us a little about your journey. You are amazing. You keep starting companies that just explode. Tell us how guilt started and tell us what it's like to start in the middle of winter because, you know, it was, it was 2007, if I remember correctly, and right around that time, all hell's breaking loose in the economy around the world. How has how's that played a role in your success? How's that for 12 questions to start you off? <laughs> sure. Well, first of all, I'm so excited to be here. So thank We're you. To have you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I've never been a part of so much adrenaline in one room. So this is, this is really a treat. Thank you. Um, <laughs> out of curiosity, has, does any, has anyone ever shopped on Guilt? Does anyone know what Guilt is? Oh. Amazing. Bams. So when we, we started Guilt 2007, November, um, I was 30 years old and 
quite naive, which I think in a lot of cases helpful. is super helpful <laughs> because I think if you actually know how hard it is to build a company and yeah. you know all the challenges and all the pitfalls that are going to, to come and kind of whack you in the face um, in the journey, you, you might chicken out. Yeah. So I think naive, na a little naivete is actually a good thing. It's like having a child for the first time, <laughs> not knowing what it's going to be really yeah, like. Yeah, and um, so really it, it came from a place of passion. We were five co-founders. Um, myself, one of my best friends, Alexis Maybank, two amazing engineers, and a man named Kevin Ryan. And we came together. Um, we all had really different skill sets um, and very clear roles that were different. So my role was uh, really to convince the fashion industry, the retail industry, to get on board with the idea of selling um, amazing brands at amazing prices, so steeply discounted online. And yes. today, if I told you that, you might be like, okay, sure, like lots of companies do that. 10 years ago, um, that, was, that was in the crazy camp. So yes. luxury crazy brands camp. did not sell online at a discount. It was, um, it it was, it, it was not done. How were um, you able to convince them? So, um, so I, I used to... That was sacrosanct to <laughs> many of those brands, for sure. They would never dream of it. It was. And look, I, I, love, I love a challenge. I actually, in a sick way, kind of like being told no, because I really like turning <laughs> that no. That. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I feel like when you hear yes, yes means yes. When you hear maybe, I interpret, it that, uh, interpret that as it's going to be yes. And when I hear no, I hear... Let me come back to them, and I'm, I'm going to win them over. I'm going to change their mind. I'm just, I, I need to figure it out and have more time. So um, a I, I actually, I love languages. I speak five languages. Wow, which language um, did you speak? Uh, mostly the romance. So my mom's Cuban, so Spanish, uh, Portuguese. <laughs> Portuguese as well. Spanish, Portuguese, French, Italian, and English. Um, wow. And, and I think it's that ability to, and I love learning new languages. I, I'm happy and okay making mistakes as I'm trying to, to navigate a new language. And I think that's a skill that can translate in, in, in business. Yes. And so what I was trying to do with <laughs> guilt for the first many years was convince brands to sell their inventory online. And I would literally speak a different language to whether it was a CEO um, a CFO, a right. CMO, the designer. The Talk in terms of their interests, each of their individual interests. Yeah, because you know each one has their own objective and, and how they protect their brand. So the CFO might be caring about, okay, get the inventory off the books, doesn't care as much about the branding. The CMO might care less about margins and inventory, but cares a lot about the branding. Yeah. The designer, probably more about the branding. And so I would listen and try to understand with every, every brand we ultimately I convinced several thousand brands all around the world to do this, and that, that was really my full-time job. Um, so a lot of it was that, listening. That's extraordinary. Give her a hand for that. That's <laughs> truly amazing. And the way you did um, it was just divide and conquer, going was, to each one, meeting their individual needs, showing them how doing business with you in this way would meet their needs. So you basically covered the executive team and got them on board. And, and being meticulous of keeping lists. I'm... I'm um, I'm a list maker, love making lists, I'm obsessed with keeping my calendar organized. So I would keep lists of, um, you know, kind of pipeline, uh, you know, who's a yes, who's a maybe, where are they located, what categories do they cover, what trade shows um, do they participate in. And I would, I would travel the world with buyers with me. And um, I didn't have a background in this. I, you know, I had 
started out of college, went into investment banking, then went to business school, and then was like, I want to get into retail. So I was not groomed for this path. Yes. I um, didn't really know what I was doing, but you know, did a lot of listening, a little bit of common sense, and um, you know, really have a hustle within me. Besides getting those brands to convert, which is by itself gigantic, what do you think has been the secret to Gilt's growth? Because you had, what, $25 million sales first year, and within five years, was it six years, you guys were at $450 million. And by the way, the company was sold for $250 million, if I remember correctly, to Saks. That must have been kind of a cool thing for you, thinking about what you helped to build. But what, what took you? What do you think brought it to that trajectory so quickly? Yeah, so, um, you know, if, as in 2007, if you told me this crazy idea is going to sell one day to Saks, I would have been like, oh my goodness, that's a dream come true. So yeah. it's amazing that that, that did happen. I, did, I forgot to answer your question about winter, and I know that's an important uh, theme, we'll so I can come back to that good. because it's all related. Um, when we were building Gilt and putting the foundations together, I think we were a little bit oblivious to the fact that winter was coming. It was just sort of like, we're building a startup, we have a big vision, we want to take the excitement of a New York City sample sale and bring it online to people all across the country. Initially focused on women, but very quickly going into men's and, yes. and other categories. And we didn't know what was coming. We knew things were winding down and weren't in, in, a, in a great place, but we already started getting some momentum before, let's say, the Bear Stearns collapse and, right. and the, the Lehman's collapse, et cetera. And I think we were building a business that I think could have been, would have been successful in good times, but in bad times was there were ways in which we could, and I hate to say this, but sort of take advantage of some of the unfortunate things that were oh, happening also these out there. Even these big brands, their sales had dropped, so did that create more reason why they had to get rid of the product? 100%. So Winter was your friend. Winter was our friend. There were brands that initially had said either no or maybe that come fall 2008, they were calling me. You know, one of them, I'm sure some of you ladies might covet that brand, Christian Louboutin with the red, red-soled bottoms. Um, they called me and they said, you know, you know how we weren't that interested six months ago? Well, we actually have some inventory. If you can come in and get it off our books, like within two days, it's yours. And so we got calls wow. like that. And so that was amazing. The challenge, though, was that we didn't necessarily have the capital to mm -hmm. be buying all that inventory because initially we thought it would be more of a consignment model. So then we had to raise funding quickly. Um, Tell us about that because that was one of my next questions. When did you guys look at funding? What amounts did you do? How did you balance out how much you wanted to take in or were you just able to at that stage? Yes, yeah, so we, we raised a lot of money over the course of, of Gilt starting in venture and then kind of moving along into private equity funding and probably more than we, definitely more than we initially had anticipated and a lot of it was to fund inventory growth and, and also really being able to lock in future um, kind of planning for future yeah. years ahead, making sure you can get the inventory that you wanted. And there are pros, as, as all of you know, there are pros and cons to raising money. Um, you know, I, I think if you can try to have the attitude that there is money out there and you want to take the smartest money you can from the smartest people um, out there who believe in your business and who can add strategic value on a board level through partnerships, et cetera, yes. that's, that's ideal. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, not everyone always has that choice in the moment, yeah. but um, you know, we, had, we had very smart board members and we're lucky. 
where's the future of retail? There's, you, know, you seem to be at the, the, the edge of it, but I'm talking about traditional retail. Where do you see that going? What's your view of it? Yes, yeah, so um, traditional retail, I think, is in, in a, a real, real state of change and flux, and um, the next, I'd say, three to five years are, are going to be pretty telling. Um, there's certain trends that I personally pay close attention to that I think are really interesting. So, what are some of those? Um, so you see the abundance of um, businesses where um, sending um, a box in home. So you can look at Stitch Fix, you can look at Stitch Fix competitors, companies like Trunk Club, um, Rockets of Awesome. For those of you who have kids, I personally think it's the greatest branding. Um, and that's basically, you, you get a box in the mail, you try things on, you send things back that you don't want, but doing it with clever marketing. And I think that's really targeting this time-starved consumer who doesn't want to go to stores the same way she used to. She's yes. buying on, on online, but sometimes online it's frustrating because you can't always try things on. There's certain categories you might want to try on. So the inbox, um, or the box in home is interesting. I think um, bringing services into the home in general, so whether it's retail or it's um, so many other categories, I think is exciting. Well, so let's talk about your, your other entities because they relate to this directly. So yeah. Glam Squad, for example. Right? Yes, yeah, so, um, so 2014, I I, I left Guilt uh, to, to, to go to Glam Squad where I was... Before, before you tell me that may interrupt, that's a big decision, right? Wow, what made you make the decision to leave when you built something so strong? That's a very tough decision for entrepreneurs. And a lot of entrepreneurs have made that decision and gone and built even bigger companies after building huge companies. But what, what pushed you over the edge to make that decision back yeah. then? So... <laughs> So one thing, my Alexis Maybank, my Gilt co-founder, had already left. So I think that made it a little bit easier. And I was thinking, what do I want to do next? In a weird way, I felt like the stakes were higher because, um, you know, more people might notice and might care if I actually left. And so I really wanted to get that decision right. In my mind, I thought I was going to go into venture capital um, and and was talking to a number of early stage firms in New York. and. Um, that could have been a great fit. And some of these fr friends in venture came to me and they said, you know, you, you can do that in five years and 10 years. You, you can get a little more gray hair before you go into venture. Like, I can tell you have more, more building to do yeah. and you really love that. And so don't feel the pressure to rush into venture soon. And so um, along, the, along the way of my guilt experience, I got involved in so many startups. So as an advisor, as a mentor, as an angel investor, like literally over 50 companies, many of them women founded, many of them in New York um, could be um, <laughs> not all. I, I support guys too, of course, but I think what, what happened... <laughs> I think what has happened is that um, a lot of female founders maybe don't have access to that many mentors and um, maybe you're looking at building companies that are targeting women, which the, the companies I've been most involved in have really been kind of fashion, beauty, um, with the intersection of technology. And so I was involved in Rent the Runway and Birchbox and Carbon 38 and um, a lot of great companies like that, some that you will hear of, but they're still in their early days. and. One company that was just in the beginning kind of coming together was called Glam Squad. And I'd gone to college with two of the founders, two guys actually, and they, we bumped into each other at an event and they said, we're building um, an in-home beauty services company and we'd, we'd love to show it to you and we'd love to get your feedback. And 
um, learned about it, and basically it was music to my ears. I was like, this, you know, this is. I completely relate as, as a user experience. I have, you know, work in industries, have to look presentable for work. I have two little kids. I have no free time to go to the salon. I feel badly about myself when I don't um, feel like I'm kind of dressed up in environments where everyone else I'm working with is, is dressed up. And, and it was at, at a great price point. So you could think of it as a dry bar in the home. So it got involved. So it was an app, is that right? It was an app. At that point, just testing um, in-home blowouts in New York City. And so they convinced me to join them full-time. I put a little money in, convinced me to be CEO and, um, and co-founder as well. And that felt like a great decision. Guilt was comfortable with it. I wasn't doing anything kind of competitive. They, right. could, they could work nicely side by side. And, and that was a great experience. So in that um, couple years at Glam Squad, we expanded to other markets across the country. We expanded to other services. And I really saw this excitement, um, the on-demand economy, certainly. Um, but a, a desire for consumers to let brands and strangers into their home and to trust that. And that's, a really, that's really hard to do. It's hard to build that kind of trust. Well, similar like we're talking about with you know, the car sharing as well. So how did you help to get people over that? Or is it just something that through time people start to expect and adjust to? So it's a balance of supply and demand. So mm. first you start on the, on the beauty professional side. So making sure that we were very strict and stringent about who we accepted onto the Glam Squad team, um, the quality. Um, there is licensing for um, hairstylists and for manicurists. Yes. Um, so it was a pretty rigorous interview process, making sure they also had kind of a bedside manner. You're going into someone's home. Yes. You're seeing all the things that could happen in someone's home, the, the good, the bad, the ugly. You can see you know, little kids running around. You can see pets. Um, you can, you can um, be interacting with consumers when they're in their most fragile and vulnerable state. It could yes. be for a wedding, it could be for high stakes moments. And so doing a great job training and then getting consumers comfortable of why should they trust this brand? Why is this brand um, good enough literally for celebrities and um, so many celebrities and socialites and very wealthy people were using Glam Squad even though could, they could afford things 10 times more expensive, but they trusted Glam Squad and yet we were trying to build a democratic business that um, you know, anyone who, who would pay more, like a $50 price point, would be comfortable the, the with. The passion you both share for lighting people up, your passion you both share for really hospitality of the process, and you both seem to also realize that technology is something you might understand, but you have someone else doing that. You really do what you do best in both your cases. You're that face, that connection. Tell me, you know, you decided to leave them. Their sales grew massively and form another company. <laughs> How'd you make the decision to leave this one and tell us about your third company? Um, so, so I'm realizing that I, I love building and creating. Um, don't love politics. Don't love being told no. Don't love having an idea on a Monday and then being told... Sure, we can implement that nine months later, 18 months later. Like, I have an idea on a Monday. If everyone around the room is like, that's a great idea, like, let's <laughs> test it on Thursday. And, 
and, my and, favorite three-letter word now. <laughs> and, you know, by, mon- by the following Monday, you might be like, eh, it didn't work, but that's okay. And what did we learn from it, and what can we repeat and, and apply and for future And you kind of did that learnings. just to interject on guilt. You know, your view was be first and then iterate, correct? Because, you know, there was a lot of things that weren't done on the website, but you just got yourself out there. Tell us, did that work? Was that important part of its growth? And then let's come back to your third organization. I, I think... <laughs> Look, I love, I love being nimble. Um, I love moving quickly. I, I'm a New Yorker. I walk really fast. I talk really fast. I like move quickly. Um, you know, I know it's important to slow down. I know that, but I, I love speed. And I think especially when you're, you're in technology and you're in these competitive environments, speed is important. People might copy your ideas. They yes. might steal your clients. They could take your partnerships. So in the case of Guilt, we, we actually launched. So we did our first sale ever, November 13, 2007. Um, it was a, a brand uh, named Zach Posen. I had become friendly with Zach. And... I actually didn't know this. Our engineers didn't tell me because they know I'm kind of like nervous Nelly type A about certain things. So th- so we launched the sale and the returns process hadn't been built yet onto the sale. <laughs> oh <my> so <laughs> um, literally it was, a, a, so you could buy your dress in a size eight, it could get shipped to you and the engineers figured, okay, it'll take two days to ship, let's say New York City area, tri-state area, maybe a day for the client to open it up. She might not try it on immediately. She might wait a day. So maybe it's four days, then she's gonna try it on. And then she's gonna wanna return something, let's say five days. So they're like, we literally have five days to build the return process. (laughs) After you've launched. After after launch, yeah. So um, can't do that when you're a big company. (laughs) Uh, That would be be kind of a front page something. Um, but anyway, so, so moving on to the, the company I'm working on now, which is called FITZ, F-I-T-Z. Um, it's really been um, almost like a Trojan horse for another company that we will be of course building <laughs> and launching in March, which I can't talk about because it's in stealth. Um, but, but the idea of FITZ was really let's learn in a very manual brick and mortar way as much data as we can about how consumers shop, how they interact with their closets. Um, what you find is the average person wears only about 20% of what they own in their closet. Uh, so 80% is just sitting there. They're seeing these patterns, <laughs> solving the same problems in a different uh, way. It's just sitting there. Number one reason, I hate to say it, but is weight gain, um, that they're not using that 80%. Others could be weather-related. And so... Are we going to be renting clothes from you now? <laughs> no, no, so not renting, but the idea in doing this service, which FITS is all about, we go into the home, we organize what you have, we purge out what you don't need, so we take care of donation, we care of, take care of reselling, and then we focus on what you have, give you suggestions on how to put outfits together, and then make really smart shopping recommendations. So, <laughs> How many are um, interested in such a service? I'm curious. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. So if you're in tri-state area, we can service you, but we <laughs> haven't scaled beyond that yet. Uh, but the idea of that is really to learn manually this process and this behavior. And, and the hypothesis was really, if you know what people already own, 
you will give them much smarter shopping recommendations for the future. And we, t we have tested out that hypothesis already. It's wonderful. One question that was asked on Facebook by several people is, have you bumped into challenges being a woman, either in this process of raising capital or helping to direct and run the business? It doesn't seem to have stopped you in any way, but I want to make sure we answer the question. You know, um, not no, not really. I would say that I, I get excited about businesses where I can relate to them as a consumer, and yes. I think be, being a woman has, has helped me in, in the companies that I've been involved in directly or even indirectly. Um, are there things said behind my back? I have no idea. Most likely, it's possible. But you know, we raised at Glam Squad. I raised twenty-four million dollars. Um, at Guilt, we certainly raised money. Fitz, we've just gone through fundraising related to this other business we're launching. Um, well, because you're so close to what the ideal consumer is, you you are that part of that ideal consumer. It's actually been an advantage. It seems like. You know, I. I I can speak from an authentic place, not yes. like I've read studies and you know, based on what I've read, I think X, Y, Z. It's like, no, I understand these pain points directly. Um, so do the customer bases I've been interacting with really for the past 10 years. So um, you know, with that said, I think things are improving. I think there are more female founders than, than ever before. There are more women in VC. Well, what advice would you give to a woman entrepreneur getting started who thinks that she might be outmanned, so to speak, in the marketplace so that she doesn't feel like she has a disadvantage? Yeah, look, I think, so I'm really close to both my parents. Um, who are together, really close to my dad, and I feel like my d my dad never raised me being like, because you're a woman, da 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 da. It was yes. always like, you know, you go, you shoot for the stars and the yep. sun and the moon. Same thing he told my brother, and it was almost like he raised raised us oblivious of any of that. Yes. Um, and I went to a girls' school in New York, which was very much like, you all could be president one day if you want to be. And so I think, I think it comes from your your ambition, your drive. I think whether it's to female entrepreneurs, but also to the guys, you know, meet as many people as you can. I, when I think about fundraising, I always like to think about, yes, who do you want to meet for, for your next round? So the round you're about to raise or the round you're currently raising, super important, because if you can't raise that round, your business might go belly up. But be thinking about the following round and the round beyond that, and if you can start getting people interested in what you're building and, and if their rejection is like, you're, you're too early stage, that's great rejection. Because yeah. then you can sort of say like, all right, let me stay in, stay in touch and let me know the, the milestones and the metrics you want me to hit along the way. Wonderful. The Tony Robbins Podcast is directed and hosted by Tony Robbins. Anna York is our editorial director and occasional host. Our executive producer is Carrie Song. Jamie Carvajal and Adriel De La Torre are our digital editors. Special thanks to Mary Buckheit and Diane Adcock for their creative review.